What's up, guys? Um, welcome to another episode of The Real Podcast. Um, today, we have another special guest. Um, his name is Quentin. I'm sorry, guys, I'm drinking coffee. So that's why I'm a bit, you know. Yeah, so um, as, as usual, guys, I'm just going to let my, my guest introduce himself, who um, his full name and who he is and what he does and all of that, and then we'll take it from there. Um, hi, Quentin. Thank you so much, man, for coming through today. We truly appreciate your time. Yeah. So, um, yeah. If you can just tell us more about yourself and okay so my name is quentin fredericks yeah i work as a producer for spear films mm-hmm. um which has been in existence for a number of years uh we've done multiple projects Spear films with, with sorry with michael right my, with michael Rett, yeah mm-hmm. who's our md and based in london okay and um I have been in the industry for about 20 years. I used to have my own production company, Pitch Black Films. Uh, one is SAFTA in I know Pitch Black Films. So did you own that company? Yeah, that was my company. Oh, really? Yeah. I know Pitch Black. Yeah. So we, we did a series called What's Your Story way back in the day in 2007, 58-part, 24-minute series oh, wow. that we won a SAFTA for. And we um, done a number of standalone feature-length documentaries, largely for the SABC, on culture, heritage, and identity, which Jeez. is really my passion. But also, I set up the SA Film Academy in 2006, um, which is still in existence today. So, sorry, Quentin. Okay. Is, film, is like the Film Academy your, did you set it up yourself? Well, I set it up in partnership with companies like Film Africa and Moonlighting and Two Oceans. So, yeah, okay. Um, what's, what's his name again? Um, because um, Quentin, sorry, Quentin from Mnet, the commissioning editor of Mnet, yeah. um, introduced me to SA Film Academy. Yeah. At some point, I think it was Seton or something. I'm not sure. I don't remember the name. Seton Bailey. Yeah, the name. Right. Yeah, yeah. Is, he, is he working with you guys? Yeah, Seton came on board after I had raised the initial funding from the then map seater okay. um, for uh, 30 learners, uh, which was our initial cohort mm. um, into the film industry to actually drive the development of a new generation of black HODs yes. uh, in the industry, which is, uh, we'll talk about uh, yeah, about a bit later. Yeah. But I, I'm also working on multiple projects in development, including a feature-length documentary that's funded in partnership with the NAVF and the Dutch Film Fund, and that's dealing with uh, violence and the murders of LGBTQI community members. Mm. Then we've got um, a series that we're developing uh, with a partner in the Eastern Cape comedic series called uh, Queendom, which is really funny. Mm. Um, so that's got expressions of interest from... SABC, DTIC, Rebate Office. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, a number of other projects in development, wow. including um, the story on Brenda Fassi, which we're doing in partnership with Netflix. Um, that's that's Spear Films, right? Yeah. Because I remember um, that was like two or three years ago. Um, Spear Films have been working on this project for quite a lot. I mean, on this, on development for, for, for some time. Because yeah. I remember that it was like before, like three or four years ago, when I spoke with um, Michael um, about another project of mine that I was I wanted to do. 
um, he told me that they were they were preparing to do Prenda Farsi and then they were gonna look into my project after Prenda Farsi. Okay. Yeah. Well, so I mean, you know, COVID obviously impacted yes. us yes. as a company. There was issues with the DTIC film and TV rebate incentive scheme that withheld um, pre-approved payments of 650 million Jeez. last year. Um, which had a devastating impact on our sector yeah. and um, really was unprecedented in terms of the consequence of that particular process, which I'm glad to say we've resolved largely yeah. with most of the member companies of the Independent Producers Organization, which I co-chair, having been cleared of any wrongdoing in terms of compliance with the BE legislation. So, okay, so you also co-chair um, IPO? Yeah, so I've been co-chair of the IPO for the last two years, and in that capacity, I am also representing the IPO in the Transformation uh, Forum. Okay, so so guys, for those who don't know, what is IP, IPO is the Independent Producers Organization. Yeah, so the IPO has been around for about 20 years and we represent about 80% of independent producers in the industry in the country. Mm -hmm. And um, in that capacity, I also sit on the board of the South African Screen Federation, mm -hmm. which has all the different guilds like the Writers Guild, the South Af Actors Guild, Yes. Um, performers management agency as constituent members of that body. Yes. And in that respect, I deal a lot with the policy development and legislation around um, different pieces of policy that are meant to support the industry, including the development of the Creative yes. Industries Master Plan. So um, I guess it's safe to say um, that, you know, um, I wear a number of different hats in uh, that role as co-chair of the IPO. Sure. Um, and one of the key things that um, we've really uh, been looking at is this development of a triple BE uh, scorecard yeah. against which transformation and change will be measured for the industry. And that process has been underway for almost 10 years. And I've been on that task team since, uh, I think it's June 2021. Mm -hmm. And we're now in the final stages of actually the third round of public consultation around that scorecard. So if you can just maybe explain what this, this scorecard is all about. So for people who don't have an idea what you are talking about. Yeah. So as you'll know, um, broad-based black economic empowerment is a key pillar of transformation policy for the South African democratic state. Yes. And that's really uh, the intention and the objective is to address the, the redress uh, of the past where black people were excluded from participation in any economic activity by law for more than 50 years and preceding that under successive colonial administrations. And essentially, the document is um, uh, consistent with uh, similar charters um, and scorecards that have been developed in other industries. For example, the tourism sector, the mining sector, the banking sector. And I am, it, it does um, uh, 
I have to admit that our sector has been lagging behind in the development of a scorecard against which transformation targets can be measured and evaluated. Mm. And essentially, it serves as a blueprint for how companies then engage with the transformation agenda under the different elements of the scorecard. For example, you have ownership as one element, which is a key element. Then you have management representation of black people at the senior executive level, at mid-management. And then you have another component under skills development, which is uh, measures the extent to which companies are investing in the uh, skills development of black people in their businesses. Then you have enterprise development, which is the element that looks at how established businesses are supporting existing and smaller owned enterprises, mostly black owned enterprises. And then you have social economic investment, which is really the social um, responsibility element of the scorecard, where you look at how a percentage of profits is used to drive community development in areas where there's significant underdevelopment and a legacy of apartheid. So in a nutshell, that's the context within which the scorecard exists. At the same time, um, it gives government a clear indication as to whether certain targets are being reached and whether companies are compliant with those targets that have been set. So as I said earlier, we now in the third and final round of public consultation on the scorecard um, with um, people in the industry being invited to comment on the draft um, targets and weightings that the transformation task team has put forward in the development of this document. Mm -hmm. And it's really critical because um, uh, transformation, if you look at the 2021 NFVF report on transformation, it shows clearly that there's, a, uh, and this is a consistent pattern across all sectors of the economy, that there is a lack of representation of black people, particularly at senior management level in companies operating in our sector. And we, it's safe to say that that's a microcosm of um, our economy generally, where senior black management representation is really a major issue, including the question of um, black female representation at that level of operation in businesses. And um, that's an issue that, that's come up time and time again mm -hmm. uh, in different forums. It's a consistent feature. Um, we, in the Western Cape, we now have a situation, for example, where um, the provincial government and the DA, um, as a political party, has rejected um, Triple BE as a policy of redress which means that there's, there's, there's now contestation between how um, in the Western Cape um, region where the bulk of the international service work actually comes from studios is actually going to be addressed with regards to the transformation targets that we know need to be implemented as a matter of urgency. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the uh, major causes of concern. And if you listen to the president on the radio this morning, um, uh, citing the responses to his State of the Nation address, he clearly stated that um, the level of political contestation 
around key policy imperatives is significant in South Africa. And even though it's very healthy for our democracy to have that level of robust interaction and exchange, um, there are certain considerations that are cause for concern, including the very real fact that um, there's a growing understanding that resistance to transformation is, is becoming entrenched um, for a number of reasons. Is it, is it, is it just, well, according, to, according to, um, to you, is it just a Western Cape issue or is it just a national? No, it's not just a Western Cape issue. As I said earlier on, um, you can take the film and television industry now. In Joburg, for example, you have the, uh, the center of the television industry. You have ETV, SABC, uh, multi-choice, all located up in Joburg. Um, um, and uh, so um, with the operations of those broadcasters, we've seen uh, the growth of black-owned production houses yes. and suppliers um, over the last uh, 15 or 20 years grow incrementally, um, but then again being impacted by um, the period that uh, Shlaudi Matswaneng was in office, mm. um, where the SABC as a national broadcaster with a key role to play in both educating and informing our nation, but also so driving... How, how do you think Saudi did when he was, when he was um, um, heading um, SABC? Well, I, I have to because, admit because some other people some other people said that he was a he was a, he was a um, um, a people's pers people's person. Some others said that he he was making like ridiculous decisions. Some others say that he was making good decisions. You know that um, benefits you know especially um, black people or so whatever. You know. Look, I, I, I've, I've not done business um, with the SABC since the financial implosion in 2008 when they wiped out, which um, wiped out a, a number of black-owned production houses. Um, and so, you know, including ours. Who's that, SABC? Yeah. Really? Yeah, there was a massive uh, uh, deficit in 2007, 2008. Um, where the SABC stopped uh, commissioning projects from different provinces and um, a number of smaller, uh, particularly black-owned production companies like ourselves that had just started up at the time were obviously impacted by that. And what it meant is that we had to close our offices and retrench all our staff. And then, um, you know, my partner and I had to move to Joburg uh, from 2010 to 2020 to work as freelancers because the work was just not being commissioned in the provinces. And I don't think the SABC ever really recovered from that particular crisis. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I'm, I'm loath to comment on Schlaudi's tenure at the SABC because I think, um, you know, the... The question of public opinion is always um, uh, informed by what narrative is out there. Mm. But having said that, um, you know, and having uh, watched uh, what was happening over that period um, at the SABC and, and, and the questions around, you know, the role of the board 
the, the appointment of senior executives and the manner in which those processes were undertaken under, under that particular administration, uh, one can conclude that there were grounds for serious concern um, in terms of how the SABC as a national broadcaster was being administered during that period. Sure. Now, I think, I think it's, um, it's a collective responsibility and, and that was clear in terms of um, some of the uh, um, inquiries that were made by the Parliamentary Portfolio Committee on Communications, uh, where board members were invited to come and give input um, as to what exactly was transpiring at the SABC. Sure. And I followed that quite closely and keenly. And I have to admit, uh, some of the stuff that came out during that uh, parliamentary inquiry process uh, was was really um, disturbing, and 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 which made me, as a filmmaker and as a producer director, uh, concerned for the future viability of the national broadcaster in no uncertain terms, because we rely on the national broadcaster not just to keep the broad. Um, majority of our people informed and updated on key events, but also, you know, provide uh, entertainment um, and, and other uh, um, properties mm -hmm. uh, to the citizenry. Um, that period, I think, you know, um, was certainly something that we, we're going to, again, if you look at what's happening at the SABC at the moment, uh, going to take a long time to actually recover from. And, but I think, you know, you can't lay the blame for all of that at one person's door. Yeah. There's actually a whole administration and, and machine behind that. Yeah. Including, uh, the communications ministry, which had oversight over the SABC. So, you know, um, it's, it's a contested arena. Yeah, for for different people and different agendas, and it will continue to be so uh, for the foreseeable future. And um, it 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 really does require a, a, a urgent attention to deal with those challenges, given the critical role that the national broadcaster plays. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, that's that's yeah. Ish. So I hear you saying that. Um, that you when 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 all that happened with the SABC, you went to Joburg. Why why the decision going to Joburg? Like, well, you see, when when the SABC had something called the Content Hub, they were they had a, a very specific mandate, and they were commissioning very uh, specific programming from the different pro provinces. Yeah, in terms of representation, um, heritage, identity, culture, history. And it was a, a, it was really an incredible time at the SABC. Sure. You know, it, it was so, um, full of opportunity, um, and, and excitement at the fact that for the first time in the history of the national broadcaster, which had largely served as a mouthpiece for the national party under apartheid, um, there was going to be a real change. Our people's stories were going to be told. We were going to have robust, informed debate. We were going to have high-end uh, um, uh, content being produced, you know, that would educate and entertain and inform the nation. And so 
when that financial implosion happened in 2008, uh, we were on the cusp of building a whole new generation of independent production houses. And when that implosion happened and the financial crisis plunged the SABC into debt, um, all those dreams just disappeared. Yeah. And so the work literally that was being commissioned from the provinces, uh, including the Western Cape where we lived at the time, uh, just literally dried up. And so we had no choice, but in order to pursue a livelihood, we had to go to Joburg where there was still work being commissioned, yeah. um, you know, in Gauteng. And that's where we, we spent the the years between 2010 and 2020, um, living in Joburg, just working as freelancers, which, you know, after having run your own business is a real uh, adaptation. Um, and also, you know, working on projects for the sake of earning a living, as opposed to actually developing the projects that you want to develop. Yeah. And that you know are important to the national discourse. Yes. You know, so it was a very, um, it was a very debilitating time. Um, and I think other, uh, independent producers and creatives, uh, can attest to that. Yeah. Yeah. I know I hear you. So what do I mean? I mean, I mean, what's your take in terms of like, um, um, transformation? when it comes to um, filmmakers, like black, specifically black filmmakers in Cape Town. Because, um, because um, this, is the, this is what we, I mean, I mean, as we spoke about as well with, with David Max Brown when he was here. Um, you know, we, we, you find like young black, you know, filmmakers, you know, running to Joburg because all they know in Cape Town is just to be assistants, you know. Or is just to help someone, or is just to help another um, white, um, maybe mentor another white person when they're coming in, and then and then they overtake them and be their HODs, you know. So I mean, this is I mean, this is everywhere, but obviously no one no one wants to talk about it because everyone is just looking after their stomachs. Yeah. If they talk about it, you know, um, there won't be any work for them. You know, they will get you know. Um, blindsided or they will get, you know, so that's the issue. That's why no one is talking about it, you know. So, I mean, when I get people like you or, you know, wanting to talk about these things, I get excited because these are the things that, you know, just makes my, my, my blood boil because you have the entire industry talking about these things, but no one is actually talking about it. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, that's a morbid reality uh, in our industry, particularly here in the Western Cape. And it's been a recurring theme in the narrative of black filmmakers, creatives, producers, that um, the industry has been hostile to transformation in no uncertain terms. And I can attest to that having chaired the working group on BE and transformation in 2006 yeah. under the Cape Film Commission, where the resistance to the development of a BE charter for our industry was significant from established vested interests in the, in the sector. And, um, you know, that process just collapsed uh, with the demise of the, the Cape Film Commission 
And so it's left a vacuum here in the West. I mean, what, what, I mean what is the, I mean, when it comes to playing a, a, a role in the industry, in the transformation of the industry, what is the role of um, Cape Town Film Commission? Oh, so, they just, they just here, yeah, they're just to attract. Um, um, okay, so let me just clarify. The Cape Town Film Commission no longer exists. Okay, it collapsed uh, a number of years ago. And yeah. the responsibility for uh, attracting investment to the Western Cape was devolved to uh, Westgro, which is the trade and investment promotion industry for the Western Cape. Westgro. Yeah. So, so that's an initiative that's set up uh, under the Western Cape government, and it's funded um, partly by the Western Cape government and the city of Cape Town. And their focus is on investment promotion. It's not on development. Yeah. Now, if you compare, for example, the fact that Gauteng has a film commission, KZN has a film commission, and if you look at the programs that they've got in place to support emerging and black-owned creatives and producers and, and um, production houses, then the Western Cape is lagging far behind in terms of those processes. Yeah, exactly, it is. And that's a huge problem. And I was in a meeting as recently as yesterday where, again, we raised this issue of the fact that black crew are not being advanced and there's no structured career development program to advance black crew, particularly in the services industry in the Western Cape. Even though there are these training initiatives that have been in existence for many, many years, you find that there's no coordinated approach to making sure that you advance a generation of black crew. Um, because remember that on a production, for example, if you have a production manager or a line producer working on the particular production, they have their preferred suppliers that they always work with. Yes. Now, if you're consistently farming out the work to those suppliers, how do you drive enterprise development and how do you remove the barriers of entry for new emerging and even existing black-owned businesses yeah. that are struggling to grow their market share? Now, that's what I was saying about the film industry being a microcosm of the broader South African economy. And where um, in the Western Cape, for example, we know that that resistance has, has been real. Yeah. It's tangible. We know the frustration of, of, of black filmmakers and crew in the Western Cape. We also know that people um, who have families to support and um, are afraid to speak out and to highlight, um, for example, uh, income inequality in terms of pay parity between black and white crew, which is an issue that's come to our attention um, as, as the IPO on a number of occasions, uh, are not prepared to actually stand up and be counted mm. simply because they feel that they're going to be victimized. Yeah. Now, that's a big issue. It's a, it's a huge issue. It's a big issue. I mean, that's, you know, what are you saying? I mean, that's, I mean, that's, I mean, that's the main reason we, I mean, we opened up um, EDA, Independent Directors Association, you know, where we represent um, directors and DOPs. You know, standing, advocating for their rights, advocating, um, you know, not, not like directors and DOPs in general, but more specifically black people. 
black directors and DOPs. You know what I mean? Because um, I remember when um, they were looking for a director. I remember when we got, we got an email. Um, they were looking for a director for um, to do um, an EP for Blood and Water Season 2. They said that they're looking for a specifically black director. You know, specifically black director. Um, and then for me, I was kind of shocked, you know, that they would, you know, because I would get briefs, you know, like I would lose briefs easily. I mean, for, I mean, for, for, for some of the briefs that I would lose, they are, I mean, for obvious reasons, you know, because some of the, some of the other briefs that I've lost, it's simply because of, since I've started talking about the transformation in the industry, you know, so when this, when, I mean, when some of these agencies go to and do, do a reference to some other producers and some other people, and then they will talk bad about me yeah. simply because Anile is the guy, is the, is the guy that is all about this black transformation and all, you know what I mean? So that, that, that's when I realized that I'm doing something good. I'm doing something right. So let us open this, you know, either independent directors association, Africa, you know, which we advocates for, you know, um, we said, I sent an email to, to the minister, I'm sorry, to the director of, of Department of Arts and Culture. And they referred me to the CEO of, of, of National Video Foundation about the situation that is happening in Cape Town because it's brutal. You know, it's, it's, it's no longer a joke. It's no longer a, 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 I grew up in this thing. I've been in this, in this industry for almost two, two decades, started, started off as a, as a PA, um, from, from, I mean, from, uh, from school, because I wanted to be an actor, did drama from, from drama school. I went to film industry and then, um, PA, I worked myself up into, into, into full-time directing. We were talking about your challenges and being marginalized in the briefing process yes. for particular projects. So. So, um, so I said this was, it's, it's brutal. It's, it's, um, I realized this, I was doing something right when I started talking, you know, because I, I, I started from this industry, I grew up in this industry. I, I saw what was happening. I could see what was happening. People that, um, that were in the industry. When I, when I, when I, when, 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 when I joined the industry, someone would be like, I've been here for 10 years and they still assisting. They still focus puller. They still, um, a gaffer. You know, um, part-time best boy, you know, um, maybe a gaffer, um, on that small, um, pep job, you know, one day pep job or something like that. When they're looking for, for someone who, who, who won't charge the money, you know, and then they think, oh, there's that, there's that, there's that guy, you know, there's Andile, um, you know, Andile is a, he, I'm sure he wants to be a gaffer. Let's just get him. And then when they've got big budgets, and then they go into their, you know, I saw all this thing happening in the industry and it hurt me. You know, some of my brothers and sisters, some of them would say, I am, I'm, I've given, some of them would be out of school wanting to direct. And they'll be, I mean, they'll be thrown into training, into training, which is, which is, which is understandable. They'll be training, training in, in, in a movie. And then you find that these guys, this person was a trainee on a movie, the whole entire movie did four years or five years or whatever in, in, in school doing directing and then doing trainee on this one. On the next one, they using him as a PA. And then like, you ask yourself, when is this person growing? You know what I mean? And then you see some other people of color, you know, the last time, last year they were, they were PA. And then the next season, they, they production managing or they producing for you. I'm like, what, what the heck? You know what I mean? So all, I saw all those things, you know, and that's when I started talking. 
yeah. you know. Um, so specifically, most of our brothers and sisters going to going to Joburg. I'm sure now. I'm sure. I'm sure working Joburg is limited now because most of our brothers and sisters are are, are going to Joburg. Every black and 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 a black lady and a, a black man in, 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 in wants to be a director, wants to be a full time director, wants to be a full time DOP, wants to be a full time producer. They go to Joburg because they stand better chances in Joburg of being those producers and directors than they are in Cape Town, right? Yeah. So I saw all that happening and then I was approached by this company. I'm not going to mention the name. They wanted me to be their partner. But then obviously things didn't go, they, they, things didn't go their way because it was actually not one company, multiple companies because they just wanted to use me for the benefits of black whatever, you know? So I saw this because, you know, when you're a, when, when you're a black director, you, you know, when they're using a black director for some other applications, you know, the PE, whatever, you know, there's a partner in our company, it's, a P, it's black PE, you know, the company is whatever, whatever PE, so they get more benefits, black, black um, economy, whatever benefits. But then obviously that didn't work. And then when I said, when I opened my own company, and that's when I, re- I saw that the real problem with the people that are trusted in the industry. And then I realized I'm doing that, I'm doing something right. You know, so so that has been the problem. So when I meet people like you and some other people, then I, I feel like I'm not alone. Yeah, you're not alone, but we are few and far between um, for all the reasons you've mentioned. Mm. And you used a very particular term. You said it's brutal. Yeah. And I can tell you, I totally agree with that sentiment. It is completely brutal yeah. and hostile. And it is an indication of the extent to which the apartheid ideology of exclusion has been internalized in the mindset of those white senior managers and crew members and businesses who consistently oppose transformation and find every reason in the book to circumvent the requirements around meeting some of the, the targets of transformation in terms of black representation. Yeah. And that is an undeniable reality, particularly here in the Western Cape. Sure. So, you know, we, we are really on our own here. Yeah. We, we know that national government um, it relies on foreign direct investment mm-hmm. um, to bring to the fiscus to meet any one of a number of our development needs and priorities. We also know that there is insufficient investment in the National Film and Video Foundation, for example, to support the development of, of black creatives we as the IPO have put forward a motivation for increased funding from the Department of Sport, Arts and Culture to the National Film and Video Foundation sure. precisely for that reason. Yeah. We've asked for um, reporting from ICASA on the commissioning targets uh, of local content production from all the broadcasters who operate under the, the remit of the Independent Communications Authority of South Africa, which has the regulatory oversight role of ensuring that broadcasters and streamers, et cetera, comply 
with uh, local content commissioning targets and that that is also consistent with procurement from uh, emerging and existing black-owned businesses. Mm. Now, um, sorry, Quentin. Yeah, sorry. My pro- my problem is that you know when I mean when when you know when when I look at this you know when I started like doing my research, my background research about you know this transformation about the change, it seems like all these government sectors and have been working on this trying of this thing of transformation in the Western Cape for for a very very long time. Yeah. When does it get to a point where there's victory? Yeah. Because it seems like everyone keeps on, it seems like this is an ongoing and never ending project. And okay. it's just money keeps going, keeps being poured, money keeps being poured, but the project never, but the project never, it never gets into a point of now we are here. You see, you see, um, our government is caught between a rock and a hard place. On the one hand, um, we have a free market economy. And so it's very difficult to police companies who, who trade under the, the, the elements of contractual law and obligation. Mm. And so um, without a specific regulatory framework, for example, that says X amount of business coming in from the uh, international studios or streamers must go to black-owned businesses. X amount of black crew must be represented on all international productions that come here mm. in a senior HOD capacity. And at the same time, any company applying for government assistance or support from taxpayers' money must comply with those targets. Now, for example, there is already international precedent for that. If you look at uh, what countries like Denmark and France have done, where they forced, by virtue of legislation, the establishment of dedicated film funds um, for from the streamers operating in those territories mm. where... Um, a percentage of their net profit after tax has to go towards a dedicated film fund to drive the development of the local industry, right? Secondly, that a beneficiation uh, model for um, senior uh, um, cast and, and crew even, in some instances, uh, is, is given uh, to ensure that they uh, derive some benefit from the intellectual property commercialization of that particular product that's been developed in that country under the auspices of their regulatory framework. Now, there's no reason why South African South Africa can't follow suit mm. on that particular model. The reality is that you have you have businesses operating in the sector who um, have very deep pockets and have lobbying happening both behind the scenes and in the public space Mm. to ensure that their particular position in terms of why transformation cannot be advanced and accelerated at a greater pace um, is not possible. And that's a spurious argument because we've heard that argument for the last 27 years as to why it takes forever to train a DOP, mm. you know. So you have black crew working at the level of assistant for 10 years. Mm. 
Now, that makes no sense. It makes no logical sense. It makes no logical sense because after 10 years, um, if let's take a comparative example. If you're a lawyer, you do your, your undergrad degree, you do your, your honors, yes. and then you do your two years of, as an article clerk. And after seven years, you, you, you graduate, you know, and then you work as a professional in the industry. Yeah. Now, it doesn't have to take 10 years. No, it doesn't have to. It doesn't even have to take like that seven years. It doesn't have to take seven years. No, not it at all. It can take less than five years. Exactly. If you have a structured approach mm. and you have the necessary government agents um, holding the industry accountable to meeting those targets and failing which, then ensuring that those businesses have to account for why they are not actually mm. meeting those particular targets. Yes. And at the same time, you also need to build a powerful uh, civil society lobby made up of independent professionals in the industry and businesses who can speak to these issues uh, in a coherent manner and actually act as some kind of uh, mitigating force against the entrenchment of these vested interests. So yes. let's take, for example, the fact that a multi-billionaire services industry exists in the Western Cape, that services productions that come from the international studios and also from the streamers. There's a small cohort of companies that get the lion's share of that work yeah. and have been doing that for the last 20 years. It's true. And those companies have a vested interest in maintaining the status quo for any one of a number of reasons which you've already outlined, including the fact that they essentially dominate the market and therefore have a monopoly on that particular workflow that comes into the country and which brings foreign direct investment in the form of taxes and skills levies and other things into the, the South African government's coffers. Now, you can argue that that is a priority in terms of stabilizing our economy and addressing the apartheid deficit because we're dependent uh, on that foreign direct investment. But you cannot ignore the national developmental imperatives when it comes to advancing black people across all sectors of the economy exactly. and growing black business um, at the expense of an argument that says the market um, investment coming through the foreign direct investment process is more important yeah. than driving a developmental and a growth agenda. And that's a debate that's happening uh, in government and it's contested politically between the unions, between the South African state and particularly by business, yes. um, which says that the private sector is the be all and end all of all our, our issues. And we've seen that that is not the case. We've seen in the private sector the level of fraud and corruption. Yes. If you consider, for example, what happened with Steinhoff. Yes, look, that, 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 and the that, billions that went down the tube yeah, uh, that was invested by the Public Investment Corporation, I was, I was which would never I was, be recouped. That was an old to, to when, when I was watching that, that, that documentary, Steinhoff. Yeah, so... So, so to come back to your, your question around transformation and why it's not being advanced in the Western Cape is that it's a very simple approach, okay? 
It's been complicated by any one of a number of positions that have been put forward by established vested interests um, that do not see um, the urgency for us to address the need for change uh, and transformation of our economy. Yes. And for particularly black people to be empowered in that particular process. Yes. Now, what that does is it creates a situation of social instability, given the fact that we have such a high unemployment rate. I think the last statistic I saw was like 40%. Yeah. And the bulk of that is in the, the youth category between the ages of 18 uh, and, and 24, and then between the ages of, of 20 and 30. And that's where really you have the potential for social instability yeah. where, um, you know, unemployed youth get drawn into criminal activity. They become demoralized. They have, they develop uh, addictions, yeah. you know, um, and the cost to maintaining the social fabric of our society as it unravels as a consequence of that resistance to transformation and change becomes enormous because the burden on the state to then address the legacy of all of those social issues becomes enormous against the backdrop of the fact that we are still dealing with the legacy of apartheid. And what we have is conservative elements that are insisting on entrenching the status quo according to that legacy. Mm. And those arguments are being advanced at the, at the most highest levels in government uh, and at the, on the ground level, at grassroots level, it's been perpetuated on a very practical level where black people are simply being excluded from advancement in the value chain and, and in the businesses of these operations. Sure. Great. I mean, this is very, very informative, informative and um, conversation that we're having. You know, very, very, very informative. I'm, I'm glad that you are here today. Um, and you've shared with us so much, you know. Um, I also want to highlight just one other thing, is that if you consider the challenges facing state institutions in holding these agencies accountable um, in terms of the transformation agenda, you have to recognize that the South African government um, has been having to toe a very fine line between making sure that we maintain macroeconomic stability in the country mm -hmm. um, according to um, our, our business operations and, uh, and other frameworks. But at the same time, um, we have to recognize that this issue of resistance to change from where we sit uh, in terms of the negotiated settlement that was concluded in South Africa um, and was a precursor to the establishment of the democratic state, that black people have been incredibly magnanimous and forgiving for the wrongs and the injustices of the past. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, echoing and listening to the president on the radio this morning, where he talks about the fact that you know, the divisions in our society now are becoming so clear that you, you ignore that at your peril. 
And as I said earlier, if you take our industry as a microcosm of the challenges that the South African state faces across the board in terms of juggling, maintaining its role as an independent democratic state, whilst at the same time trying to advance um, the developmental requirements of addressing the legacy of apartheid, then it's a really difficult landscape to navigate. But I do believe that the state is serious about doing that, you know, but more can be done and needs to be done to ensure that um, the the carrot approach has not worked Mm. in getting businesses to come to the table to assist with the transformation agenda with the urgency that it actually requires. And so a regulatory framework that imposes uh, certain requirements in terms of compliance with those transformation uh, objectives is actually critical at this juncture for two reasons. One, to ensure that we address um, the growing uh, frustration and anger amongst the majority of our people because of continued exclusion and the harsh, squalid conditions that they have to live under, including Mm. the lack of service delivery, which the state is hard-pressed to deliver to the majority of our people, bearing in mind that the infrastructure development of the apartheid state and and, and, and economy was largely geared towards servicing 5% of the population, i.e. the white minority. Secondly, that the social fabric of our country needs to be stabilized. It's it's unraveling. And we saw that with the unrest in KZN last year, Mm -hmm. where damage to infrastructure and the loss of lives was significant. So this industry cannot bury its head in the sand. Like other bigger sectors who contribute significant amounts of, of funding to the fiscus, in the form of taxes and other regulatory um, obligations, it must come to the table and it must be seen to be held accountable to those transformation objectives in no uncertain terms. Yeah, I love that. I love that. You know, um, the thing is that, you know, um, I mean, we know, I mean, we know the problems, you know, we know the issue, we know the, the reason why, um, there's there hasn't been any transformation you know the thing is that what what for the government to i mean to regulate tax to go up to regulate this and that to go up it takes it it, it can be overnight why transformation is going to take so many years why why is it going to like something that is very something that is that, that has to do with people's lives that has to do with people's careers i'll you know? give you an example as to you know what they do you, to you, the state you know yeah you know it it takes it's been you know i've i've heard this con- i've heard this conversation since I, I started in this industry that was like 2015 or 2014 i don't, I don't remember 20 no 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 2015 no 20 2005 or 2006 when i started in the industry i heard that there were some you know um 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 procedures on this that for transformation and all of that and then now i'm still here and i'm still hearing the same thing but when it comes to things like tax, it's like they they tomorrow. I mean, they sleep tonight, and over the night they decide, okay, we're going to regulate taxes going up. Tomorrow morning, taxes up. 
petrol is going up, petrol is up overnight. But something that has to do with, you know, transformation for, I mean, for good, you know, for something great, for something beautiful, you know, that has to do with, you know, with, 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 as I said, this is brutal for us as black people, film, filmmakers, you know what I mean? Why is going to take so much? Because they're the government. They can make these decisions. You know, no, I mean, no one can hold them hostage to, for them to make these decisions. I, they, dis, I, I, have to, I have to disagree with you. Yeah. Um, it's not that they are being held hostage. And I'll tell you why. No, no, no. I, yeah. I believe, no, that, that's why I'm saying that yeah. they don't have to be held hostage, yeah. even though they are. That's why I, I, the reason I'm saying that they don't have to be held hostage is because of, I know that they've been held hostage. Yeah. You know, okay. they are the government. Yeah. They can't be held hostage for such things, for such transformation. You know what I mean? The state, the state has the, not just the moral responsibility, it has the, the constitutional authority to enact any and all legislation that ensure that the constitutional rights to freedom of economic activity, for example, is, is implemented in, 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 in practical terms. Um, and, you know, the state and business will argue that there's a limitation on the provision of those rights, for example, that it has to be considered within the context of the available resources and capability of the state at any given point in time. The reality is that there are massive amounts of funding mm. sitting all over the place. Uh, in the National Skills Fund, I think, um, you know, even after the allocation of the one billion to the uh, free tertiary um, education that that was uh, enacted under President Zuma's administration, I think there's still a few billion sitting in that fund. But the bureaucracy around accessing that funding uh, to drive the development of skills development is so onerous that at the same time businesses uh, simply, especially smaller businesses, don't yeah. have the capacity and larger businesses don't have the, the will to actually engage with those agencies. And so you have these, these surpluses sitting in different funds that are not being utilized. And in that way, um, the state has to assume a measure of responsibility mm. for why those resources are not being allocated to drive skills development, to drive the development of small businesses, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you know, if you consider, for example, that there, there are all these funds available, um, the state has a responsibility to ensure that access to those funds for businesses who are wanting to drive skills development, enterprise development, is made easier. We have one of the most significant um, regulatory burdens when it comes to the establishment of businesses in South Africa. Mm -hmm. To register a company here can take up to two months. In other countries, it takes a week. Yeah, you know. And then you have you have any one of a number of of regulatory requirements that you as a small business have to comply with, and that places an additional a burden on those businesses, but it also poses an additional challenges, but particularly for startups, you know, and smaller businesses. And that brings me to the other question is, um, 
the the access to finance and markets and networks for smaller production companies, um, which is an issue I'll be speaking to um, at broadcasting media conference that's being hosted next week here mm -hmm. in Cape Town. Um, you cannot expect a small business that is wanting to establish itself in the marketplace to meet the requirements of commercial lending criteria that the commercial banks impose, i.e. Exactly. the provision of collateral or equity or the demonstration of existing contracts that um, have a commercial uh, uh, value and, and can um, demonstrate projected revenue flow over a two or three year period. Now, those are the requirements from agencies like the Industrial Development Corporation, the Small Enterprise Financing Agency, um, the National Empowerment Fund, which means that by and large, the only people and businesses that can apply to those agencies for support and investment are established businesses with the capacity to retain specialized services, both legal and accounting and financial, to do those financial forecasts and to also secure the necessary contracts. Yes. Now, in that particular context, we now have an additional barrier of entry that's compounded by the fact that there is resistance by the established industry to actually opening up the market. And in this, in this, in this regard, uh, I want to um, highlight the fact that we have any one of a number of small business development agencies. The minister, the previous minister of small business development two years ago lamented the fact that the budget that was allocated to her department was about, I think, three or five billion rand short of what they actually needed to drive and to meet their mandate of supporting small, the development of small, particularly black-owned businesses. Now, if the state is not allocating the required resources to those departments, then the question that we need to ask is, why is it not doing so? Because it's not as if it cannot find the money. We saw that under COVID, that government was able to find the money to fund the fight against COVID and to protect the citizenry. And we saw what happened with those particular processes. So I think, you know, as you correctly point out, um, government has the capability. Um, the question we have to ask um, is, why is that capability not being exercised in the most stringent manner possible to address the developmental needs of our country um, and different sectors where we know um, transformation is a massive challenge uh, to that particular sector, but also to the country as a whole. And if we don't, if we don't engage in those debates, if we don't ventilate those issues as ordinary people, then we are also failing in our constitutional responsibility as citizens mm -hmm. to actually hold the state accountable. And I think that, you know, um, the president went to great lengths um, the last year mm -hmm. to ensure and to, to reassure um, uh, the South African people that the state was committed to advancing 
broad-based black economic empowerment and transformation, and that it remained a key pillar of government policy. And But by his own admission, acknowledged that we have the most incredible policy in place. The deficit is in implementation of that policy when it comes to reality. And that's where the breakdown happens, and that's where delivery of um, and, and realization of that policy becomes a major issue because you can have all these amazing uh, um, uh, policy papers like yes. the Creative Industries Master Plan, the Audiovisual White Paper, the SABC Amendment Bill, which, you know, many of, of, of which is, is hotly contested and debated in different forums. But at the end of the day, if you don't empower and capacitate the agencies tasked with that mandate to realizing that policy to the benefit of, of our people, then what is it that we're actually doing? Yeah, I think let's just leave it there for now. Um, yeah, because I think we're just also running out of time. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the whole thing now is like, because there, there are all these, you know, associations and organizations like that are there to represent, you know, the people on the ground, like your IPO, like your Writers Guild, like yeah. your um, IB, IBFC. IBFC, which I'm also a member, I'm part of IPFC, um, like your Independent Directors Association, you know. So I think it's it's just like high time for us guys, you know to work together, you know, not as individuals. Because what I, I mean, what I realized is that all these associations in these organizations, you know, they, they partly work together. You know, they, they, it's almost like you'll find, let's say Andile is, is part of, there is, Andile is part of IPFC, Andile is part of maybe member of, uh, member of IPO. And then in that way, because of that, you know, if we can come together as one force, you know what I mean? Come together as one force and, and, and come up with something that will, will, will enforce these government sectors, you know, and give them no, no, I mean, no choice for this transformation because it's been taking so much time. Okay, the reality is that there is contestation within those very organizations around transformation itself. That's exactly. That's the morbid reality. That's exactly. Within those very organizations, there are also um, existing interests that um, have been there for a very long time and that um, need to protect their business interests. And that's fine. The point is that if you're protecting your business interests at the expense of the greater good of mm. the broader industry, mm. then you are actually, you need to be called to account on that. Exactly. Because if you're advancing a narrow vested interest agenda, because all over the world globally, you know, industry associations work together yes. in collective interest. Yes. Because if you stabilize the value chain um, across the sector, then there's work for the writers, there's work for the actors, there's mm. work for the small business people. There's work for the independent creative. There's work for the um, in independent production house. And you develop product and, and content that is of a good enough standard that it can be uh, commercialized. 
and that it can travel internationally and recoup return on investment. Sure. But for as long as we have the status quo where there is a resistance to any coordinated effort to acknowledge, first of all, that That's what I noticed. I noticed that. Is I know. in the collective interest, not just in the interest of black people. Yes. And, and you, you know, if you, uh, if you look at, um, I think it was the finance minister's uh, statement in one of our presentation on the draft BE scorecard, uh, we use a quote from one of his um, presentations in parliament where he clearly says that broad-based black economic empowerment is not just in the interest of black people. It is in the interest of our collective society mm -hmm. and economy. Yes. And you have to recognize that black people, uh, white people and white businesses have a, a, a head start on black people when it comes to business and economic activity, second to none, that was pioneered and entrenched in legislation under the apartheid state for 50 years. So we're constantly playing catch up and we're constantly um, uh, uh, at the tail end of, I mean, we cannot even begin to compete as black businesses in that space mm -hmm. because, you know, it'll take decades and decades and decades before we build that capacity. And in the meantime, those established businesses are growing their market share yeah. incrementally during the same period of time. Yes. So that imbalance, that skewed imbalance um, that we've inherited historically is something that will take generations to actually address. Yes, I love that. I love, I love, I, lo I love your, I mean, um, I mean, this, I mean, this conversation, I really, 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 really um, say it was one of my best conversations I've heard um, because, I mean, it's, 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 it's what we stand for is this podcast. This podcast is all about that. Obviously, yeah, we do want to um, give out the um, um, educational content, but the whole point of it is it's about transformation, equality and, and change. You know, it's, 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 it's not even about color. It's not even about black and white. It's about equality. You know, it's about um, um, equality because at the moment there's nothing equal in the film industry. I mean, space based specifically in Cape town, in the Western Cape, there's nothing equal. There's nothing equal. Otherwise, if there was anything equal, no one would be running to Joburg. You know, no one will be just going in the film industry just to get a pay so that I can provide for more. You know what I mean? Some of the people, they came because of the one they, they love doing this. They end up saying, I want to be a director. I want to be there. I want to be there. As time goes by, they realize that their dreams are impossible because of the inequality in Cape Town. Yeah. They realize that these dreams are impossible. I will just do this so that I can provide for my family. We don't, we don't need that. You know what I mean? That that has to change. So I mean, Independent Directors Association Africa. You know, I mean, we I mean, we've opened up ourselves to work with any association or organization out there that wants to work with us. You know, we've started sending up emails. Started, we started the conversation with government. We, I mean, with government sectors. We started. I mean, also send an email. Also, I mean, conversation with 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 Parliament as well. You know, yes, Parliament as well. Conversations with Parliament as well. Conversations with um, director of, of Arts and Culture. You know, we're starting. We, we, we're about to start a conversation now. 
with National Video Foundation, you know? So we are opening up ourselves, you know, to opening up ourselves, you know, to, um, to any association or any organization that wants to work with us, join hands with us, you know, to see this, 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 this thing possible. Um, any last words, Quentin, before we, we wrap up? Yeah, look, uh, first of all, I want to say thank you for inviting me to be part of this conversation. Yeah. Um, there are not enough platforms where this kind of conversation is being accommodated. Yeah. There are not enough uh, people engaged in this conversation. I think the, um, there's been a deliberate attempt uh, to close down the spaces uh, for this kind of conversation to happen, particularly uh, in the Western Cape. Mm. And I think that's a major issue. Um, and um, I'm very heartened to hear that you are engaged um, as an organization uh, in conversation with key agencies whose brief and mandate it is to actually address and, and, and deal directly with these issues. Mm -hmm. And that's really important because yeah, the more people that are engaged in that process, the more these issues are ventilated and the more they cannot be ignored. Exactly. And, you know, it's been ignored for too long. It's yes. been brushed under the carpet and it needs to be, that carpet needs to be swept, yeah. and taken out. Be cleaned. And that dirt be cleaned. Yeah. Because that's what we're dealing with. And for me, as an independent filmmaker, um, you know, I would love to just be doing and developing the stories that I want to develop, mm. but I do believe also as a, a political activist in the anti-apartheid struggle during the 80s that my responsibility and obligation uh, as a citizen goes way beyond that yes. in terms of addressing those historical imbalances and ensuring that the constitutional provisions that people died for mm. to make a reality in South Africa are actually uh, realized, mm -hmm. you know, if not in my lifetime, then certainly in your children and your children and their grandchildren's lifetime. Because at the rate that things are going at the moment, um, you know, I, I very much doubt that we'll see that kind of uh, fundamental change mm. in my lifetime. Maybe in yours, because you, uh, I'm assuming you, yeah. you're much younger than me, <laughs> you know, so you have the yes. benefit of time. Um, I certainly um, uh, doubt very much that fundamental change in this country will not be effective without a radical shake-up of um, all kinds of regulatory and policy processes, but also institutional frameworks and operations that effectively, despite the state's uh, um, intentions of trying to drive the development and the empowerment of black people, has simply not been realized, mm. you know? And I don't know how long and how, for my, how much longer people will be patient with that situation. And it's that true. for me is, is a bigger cause for concern and goes way beyond uh, the narrow paradigm of people trying to frustrate transformation in this particular sector and other sectors of the economy. Thank you so much, Quentin. Um, um, really appreciate your time, sir. You being here, um, 
truly helped. I believe that everyone that will be listening and watching, whether you be listening via um, Apple podcast, Apple podcast or Spotify or Amazon or whatever, or watching on YouTube, um, I'm definitely sure that this is this 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 is really informative, especially if you are that you know um, that young young black, you know, fighting for transformation as well. You know, fight. I mean, being. I mean, trying to. Um, 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 to, to to join us in this fight. The, 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 the thing that I'm asking, you know, someone um, just as we're closing, Quentin, um, Quentin someone said to me, um, Andile, Andile, you hardly find funding for what you're doing, especially if it's based on black people. It's based off, off of wanting to help black people, um, transformation of black and all of that in the film industry in the Western Cape. You know, so um, I mean, I'm urging you know um, um, to, to 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 all government sectors and because think we want to make this 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 association a safe place for Black people to want to be part of it because at the moment, all our brothers and sisters are afraid to be part of what we are studying, simply because of their stomach, simply because of their bosses. You know, if it's maybe it's a focus puller, the DOP is white or the director, you know, the DOP that they usually work with is white. You know, they will no longer get work. So we want to get into a place where we make this play in, in, um, independent directors association in Africa a safe place where every single black man and even white people who, who, who are all about transformation, who see what we see, because they are the white people out there, you know, like David Max Brown. You know, they believe that there's no transformation in Cape Town when it comes to film industry. You know what I mean? So we want to make this so we can't do it alone. You know, we need hands, we need help, you know, with 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 decision makers, you know, in the country, like your IPO, you know, organizations that have been there for a while, join hands together, you know, try and convince our brothers and sisters that this is the right thing that we are doing. It's for the right cause. It's 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 it's, it's and it's going to be a safe place for everyone. You know, that's what we're trying to do. So, guys, um, that was um, our episode for this week. Um, thank you so much to Quentin for coming through. We appreciate you, sir. Um, um, and we honor you for your presence and, and, for, and for everything that, that you've been trying to do for the industry and continuing doing for the industry. Thank mm. you. And I honor you in the same way yeah. for the work that you're doing. And I think it's to be commended. Yeah. And you raise a very important point that about creating a safe space for black people yeah because as black people we are under attack yes and particularly in terms of progressive positions that is being advanced by key people um you know um, as i said earlier we are few and far between mm. and we really need to be supporting each other along with those progressive white voices that recognize the urgency of the situation and that also simply understand that at the end of the day, this is beyond color. It's beyond color. It's not about color. It's not about color. It's, it's in the collective. That's what I've been trying to, to make people understand. This is not about color. I've been saying this, um, Quentin, that my mentors were white. Yeah. So how can I make this about color? Exactly. If all my mentors <laughs> were white, from since I was a PA to, to pro, when, I was, when I was in production, yeah. to when I was in AD, to when I was in camera department, into, even to now as directing. Yeah. My, my, like now as a director, people, like when I started in director, um, Bruce, Bruce McDonald's white, he was my mentor. You know, so I can never make this about color. Yeah. Never. 
can't it can't be because you know color is 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 a ridiculous concept in the first instance exactly and it's been proven scientifically and in fact uh, one of uh, the projects that I'm working on uh, has as its uh, found, founding premise yeah. uh, a objective to disprove the the whole issue of racial uh, superiority or difference yes. as had has been advanced under the apartheid state you know it's the most absurd ludicrous concept that has plagued us as human beings across different countries globally for so many years including under the the uh, um, remit of slavery that you know technically mm. as human beings we need to recognize the universality of our human identity and existence mm. and that's key and that's ultimately what we need to be striving for and all of these issues that we're dealing with around transformation you know uh, uh, resistance to change uh, monopolization of sectors of the economy are sim simply obstacles to be overcome in a much longer and more profound journey yes. to actually celebrating the human experience and recognizing, you know, the unique nature um, and identity of each of us as as special in the most um, significant way. Yes. Because, you know, to quote um, in my other life, I am also a traditional healer, a sangoma, yes, okay. and have been yes, for the last 22 yes. years. And so, you know, um, it's been a long journey um, in, within myself to recognize that the entire premise of the apartheid state mm. and the policy of separate development was really to divide us as human beings, mm. you know. And as long as they could divide us as people, whether black, white, colored, Indian, pink, blue, green, um, that small minority of, of, of control freaks, you know, um, could dictate the agenda and reap the benefits of an establishment and a, a government that they'd set up essentially to advance their own narrow interests. Exactly. And so, you know, one of the stories I'm, de I'm do dealing with at the moment is a, a collaboration uh, on profiling the plight of poor white Afrikaner families in the post-democratic state. You know, because again, there's the issue of excluding exactly. exclusion on the basis of class and social status. You know, yeah. So we also need to 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 recognize that this is a much bigger issue that we're dealing with here, and it's a complex terrain that needs to be navigated. But at the same time, it's profound in its simplicity. Mm. That if I honor you as a human being worthy of dignity and respect. And, and the realization of your hopes and aspirations, then I honor myself in that process. Exactly. And so, you know, you achieving uh, and, and realizing your potential serves me in realizing my own potential. Mm -hmm. And in that way, the synergistic relationship between us as human beings is clearly established and acknowledged and what more could we want in a country that has come out of such a fractured and violent past? Those were the last words of today's episode from our legend, Quintin. 
Thank you so much, sir. I appreciate it. Dinner about the legend. Cheers, guys. See you on the next one. <laughs> Thank you.